I've been exploring Christianity, and Easter 1987 was rather different. And I just wanted to read, we've already read the story of the first Easter Sunday, but let me just read it again. It says this, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men said, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. That's the first Easter Sunday. And it changed for me. I'd been exploring Christianity over a period of a sort of a couple of years. And in the February of 87, I'd found myself trying to answer another question, this question. You know, what actually happened on that first Easter Sunday? And I can remember being in a, in a talk in this February about this, and this guy was going through the various possibilities of what could have happened with that empty tomb and that disappearing body on Easter Sunday. Here's the first possibility. Here we go. The 12 disciples. Well, by that stage, there were 11, so we can discount Judas. He'd already gone. Um, but yeah, could the disciples have nicked the body? That was the first option this guy talked about. The problem is... They were suffering from the D's. The D's were, they were depressed, disillusioned, disorganized, and somewhat dispersed. Uh, They were in no fit state to mount an attack on a tomb that was guarded by soldiers. But what's more, history tells us that they later died, they were later executed for their faith. Because they refused to deny the resurrection. People don't die for a lie. That one doesn't work, does it? The second option is this, that the authorities, the Roman and Jewish authorities, uh, nicked the body for some reason. But that makes no sense at all, because these guys were trying to suppress and squash this heretical group that had risen up. And as this rumour started to spread through Jerusalem, because it it spread like wildfire, that this guy had come back to life again, they could not produce a rotting corpse. It doesn't work. The third one, same sort of thing really, that when they went on that Easter Sunday morning, they were so disorientated that they went to the wrong tomb. The problem is that same. It's the same as the authorities' argument, you know. Had that happened, then the authorities would have just produced uh, the rotting body from the right tomb. So that doesn't work. The fourth one, this is the one I like the most. It was the first April, April Fool's <laughs> gag. Surprise, I wasn't really dead. Well... Let's just have a think for a moment. Could it have been the first April Fool's gag? And two billion people have taken, been taken into, into it. Uh, well, the problem is this, that before Jesus was nailed to the cross and, hang, and hung there for six hours and died from suffocation, he was whipped by the Romans. And uh, they were particularly vicious when they did that. They had little bits of lead and, and stone and stuff tied to their whips because they wanted to make sure that they removed all of the skin from your back when they did it. And half of the people who were crucified never made it to the cross. They died from blood loss beforehand. So that's what had happened, first of all. But the best bit for me, could he have actually been alive, is this. The Romans' employee incentive scheme. Now, they didn't have bonuses or share options, but they had a really great incentive scheme. It was called death. If you were a Roman soldier in the execution squad and you took someone down for the cross and they were still alive, you died in their place. 
you didn't make a mistake, therefore. There was an incentive scheme. So what they did, well, the Romans came to Jesus. What, what, they, they wanted to make sure that these three people who were being crucified, two thieves along with Jesus, were going to die well before 6 p.m. that evening, uh, the, when the Sabbath started, because the Jews had this bit of a thing about not wanting to handle dead bodies during the Sabbath. Uh, so they wanted to get it out of the way by then. So uh, at 3 o'clock or so, they came along and broke the legs of the two thieves. That way they couldn't push up anymore because of what they had to do. If I just stand up here, you can see. They're hanging on the cross, and in order to breathe, they had to push up on the nail through their legs like that to be able to breathe. And eventually they got so tired, they died of suffocation. That's how it killed them. Well, if they broke their legs, they couldn't push up anymore, and they died really quick. So they broke their two leg- the legs of the first two. They came to Jesus. They didn't break his legs because he was already dead. And a bit like if you skewer a cooked chicken to make sure it's cooked. They used to do a similar sort of thing. They would take a spear and they would skewer the dead person. But they would skewer them up through the right-hand side of the ribcage, underneath, through up to the heart, into the heart. Then they'd pull the spear out. And they'd look to see if the blood had separated, if the heart had stopped. And sure enough, that's what the account tells us. It says blood and water came out. He was dead. Had he not been dead, then a spear to the heart would have killed him. So he was as dead as a dodo. He was dead. Nothing works. And I can remember sitting there listening to this talk, and you're left with this, this one conclusion, which Lord Darling put like this. In its favour, as a living truth, there exists so much overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. And I can remember listening to this talk and thinking, I agree rationally with everything that is being said. But what's more, as I sat there, for the second time in my life, I felt what I would now describe as the presence of God. I felt somebody there with me. He was drawing close. So Easter 1987 was altogether different for me because I'd started a friendship. It was different because that, what happened to the resurrection on that first Easter Sunday was you know, putting that piece of the jigsaw together was the final piece of a journey of discovery for me. It was the final piece, but it was also the first step on another journey, another journey of discovery, finding out just quite how amazing he is. So what does Easter Sunday mean for me now? What's it mean for me now? Well, it is all about resurrection. It's all about hope, but not this sort of hope, not fingers-crossed hope. This sort of resurrection, the sort of resurrection that happened to Jesus, hadn't happened before. There'd been uh, bringing back to life miracles, some incredible ones. I remember there's one, Lazarus. He'd been dead in his tomb for four days. I can remember uh, talking about this one breakfast. Uh, sort of, it was a men's breakfast, and there was a medic there. Have we got any medics? Give us a wave if you're a medic. There's one or two. Yeah, here we are, there's the medics. Now, this may not apply to you, so please forgive me, but most of the medics I know have got pretty sick senses of humour, to be honest. And this guy was no different. So we're, we're eating breakfast, and we're talking about Lazarus. So he starts to talk about what would happen to a body four days in, in that sort of temperature. What orifices 
would be, would be oozing with liquid by this stage. Roughly how many maggots would be eating the corpse? This sort of stuff. He's going through all this sort of stuff. So he says, so there's a, there's a miracle one way or the other. He says, either for four days, God stopped Lazarus' body from, coming, from rotting because Jesus comes along, if you don't know the story, and brings him back to life. So either that happened, which is an incredible miracle, or Jesus came along to a rotting piece of meat and brings him back to life and sorts out all the rottedness at the same time. An incredible miracle. These sort of things had happened. But this one is different. The one, the resurrection of Jesus is different. You see, Lazarus went on to die again. He just got his same old body back. Incredible miracle, but it was his same old body. For Jesus, it was different. He had an everlasting, indestructible body. It had changed. This was a resurrection body. It was a body that was equally at home on earth, eating fish with his friends, as it was sitting on a throne in heaven. He straddled the two, heaven and earth. Heaven is now open. That's what it means. Heaven is open to earth. The door to heaven is open. We can access God. We can have a relationship with him. He's struggling the two. But also, earth is open to heaven. And some of the things that we heard this morning, we can get a taste of heaven now. And it's all summed up for me in this word, hope. As I said, it's not this sort of hope. It's not fingers crossed, I hope it's going to be okay. It's not that sort of hope. Hope is this. Hope is the confident expectation of future blessings. It's something that is deep down in your guts and you just know it's going to be all right. Hope is founded in that resurrection, that first Easter Sunday morning. And that hope sort of infuses every part of our friendship with Jesus. We can have confident expectation day by day. The hope and the resurrection life that Easter Sunday promises is with us every day. We can expect stuff that is out of the ordinary. And we've heard about some of that this morning. But I'd like us to hear about another one. Can I borrow the mic for a second? We're starting an Alpha course, and uh, if anyone would like to know more about Alpha, do come and see me at the end. Alpha is a great way to explore Christianity. But I'm wandering over here, because there's someone here in a rather smart Easter bonnet. Is she going to put it on for me? The Easter bonnet has been stolen. Borrowed. All right, borrowed. Okay. So, but I'm going to ask, this is, this is Poppy, who, who had the rather smart Easter bonnet, and this is Claire, Poppy's mum. I'm going to ask Claire to tell us the cup of tea Incident. Okay. Morning, everyone. Uh, can you hear me? Does that work? I'm not used yeah. to holding a microphone. Um, so it's a couple of weeks ago, uh, probably, no, a couple of months ago, actually. Um, and it was very early in the morning, and I was feeling that disorientated, tired feeling that parents of young children will be very familiar with. And um, we were up way, way early than dawn, and I thought, oh, a cup of tea is what I need. So made a cup of tea, took it upstairs, and 
like most parents, paranoid, drilled into Poppy, do not touch hot things, you never ever touch a cup of tea. And in the space of time it took me to put the tea on the side of the bed and turn round to see what Poppy was doing, Poppy had launched herself across the bed, grabbed a, a huge mug of tea, a scalding hot, just out the, the teapot, and poured it all over her. Um, and screamed a scream of pain, the like of which I can't describe to you, but you can imagine. And I was beside myself, um, just absolute panic, phobia. What on earth am I going to do? So sprinted with Poppy under my arm and my partner into the bathroom, threw her under the cold tap, and was just in absolute despair. Um, and there's, there's another story to tell you another time, but there's lots of reasons to be worried about Poppy. And I just thought, I can't believe I've done this to her. How could this have happened? Um, and just a few days previously, we talked about a friend of my partner's who is scarred for life because he'd had a similar experience. So she's under the cold tap, and I'm thinking... What do I do? Do I phone an ambulance? Do I throw her in the car? Do I keep her under the tap? And all the time she's screaming and screaming. And I thought, I've got to try and get these pyjamas off and have a look. And, and what do I do? And a voice said, pray. Now, my partner doesn't have a lot of faith, but I grabbed him. And I said, you've got to pray with me now. So we're on the bathroom floor. I'm holding him and he's holding me and we're holding Poppy. And I just said, please, God, can you take this away? Because she doesn't need... She doesn't need to be scarred for life because of a mistake I made. Please take it away. And so, um, sorry, um, I kept her under the tap and I noticed as I was praying that she'd stopped crying. And I was terrified to look, but I peeled the pyjamas off and I peeled a nappy off and we looked at her and there wasn't so much as a blemish on her, not a red patch of skin, nothing. Fantastic. So, confident expectation we can expect out of the ordinary. That's the first thing. We can expect that day to day. We can have a confident expectation, secondly, in the future. An expectation that goes beyond our abilities or our good fortune. There's Easter Sunday hope and life in the equation of our futures. That's what this means. That's what the resurrection is all about. We can also have confident expectation for our ultimate future that's beyond the grave. Death really is beaten. The promise of eternity with Jesus isn't some sort of vain wish, some sort of you know, cloudy hope. It's got the Easter Sunday morning substance and reality to it. It's the real deal. It's the real deal. So what's the meaning of Easter Sunday? Well, the meaning of Easter Sunday for me now is that it is the ultimate day of hope. And hope is this confident expectation for future blessings. We're going to finish in a few minutes' time with the band. I'd like the band to come back in, in a second or two. But I want us just to think for a few minutes before we do. I want us to think about what that word hope means for us. Someone once said to me, we could all do with a bit more hope, couldn't we, Rich? It's true. They were uh, facing a particularly tough situation. Their son was terminally ill with cancer. But in the midst of that, they found hope, and he found hope, that was beyond their expectation, beyond the ordinary. What does it mean for you? What does hope mean for you? Could you do with a bit more hope this morning?
Maybe for you, it's this day-to-day hope. The hope of that resurrection life breaking in day by day to see something that is out of the ordinary. Maybe it's for your future. Maybe you need to see some of that Easter Sunday hope and life in the equation of your future more than it is at the moment. Or maybe you were like me back in 1986, 1987, and you're just starting to explore a bit. Well, you know, what's this Christianity thing all about? Well, I found it isn't about a religion. It's not about a list of rules and do's and don'ts. It is about connecting with this guy who really did come back to life on Easter Sunday morning, who broke the power of death, and he's alive now, and offers that life and that resurrection power to us now and for the future and forever. But what's more, you can know him. And that life and that power can infuse every part of your life. I didn't expect that when I started to look. But that's what I found. And I mentioned earlier that Claire, who told us a story about Poppy, is going to be doing the Alpha course. And uh, we're starting next week. We're starting with a taster next week. If you want to know more, that's a great way to find out more. So let's just be quiet for a moment, shall we? And just have a think. On the day that is the ultimate day of hope, could you do with a bit more hope? Just as we're thinking, as the band is getting ready, um, sometimes God speaks to us uh, for other people. And uh, Helen this morning felt God speak to her for some other people. And uh, in a few minutes, we're going to offer to pray for people for different situations. But one of them is this situation that Helen felt God speak to her about. Um, I had a... um, I came here on Good Friday... And um, since that time, I felt that there might be someone or some people here who were stuck on Friday, which is about death, and it's about suffering, and it's about darkness, and it's about feeling, and Jesus being separate from God. And um, this morning, I was praying, and I felt God um, speak to me, and I felt what uh, what He was saying was that. Um, there might be someone or some people here this morning um, who are struggling with feeling um, suicidal, who are feeling like they identify more with the death and the darkness um, of Friday than they do with the life um, and the risen Jesus um, that there is today. So if that's, if that's you, if you feel stuck in, in the darkness and you feel that actually death is more where you're at, then I would certainly love to pray with you. And I know that there would be um, other people who would love to pray with you too. Okay, this is what we're going to do. The band is going to uh, lead us in a final song in a moment or two. And uh, as they do that, we're going to invite people. If you would like uh, somebody to pray with you this morning, it could be about that or it could be about feeling, actually, you know what, I just need a bit more hope. Day to day, I need some hope. For, for my future, I need some hope. Or actually, I'd like to find out a little bit about this Alpha course that guy mentioned and, uh, and maybe come next week for the taster. 
If, you, if, that's one, if you're in one of those categories, as the band plays, we'd like you, if you're up for it, to, just to walk forward and someone will pray with you. You don't need to feel like everyone's going to be watching you or wondering, you know, that people won't know what you're coming forward for. That's between you and God and if you want to, you can tell the person who's going to pray with you. But it's private, it's personal. But uh, we could all do with a bit more hope. And if that's you this morning, today is the day of ultimate hope. It's ultimate hope day today. And you can have some more hope.